This is Mindframe, a podcast of mind-bending science fiction. I'm Dave, your host and the author of the show. With me, as always, is Brent, my uh, brother from another mother who helps uh, the show happen. He's the co-founder of the Podbelly Podcast Network. Um, We are a Podbelly original. And if you're looking for anything to do with podcasts, whether you're in COVID mode and you're trying to launch a podcast, whether you've got a small podcast and you want to get the word out about it, uh, go to Podbelly. You can find some really good information and some great stuff on podcasting. Um, we are brought to you by El Yucateco Hot Sauce, king of flavor since 1968. Um, I'm going to profile um, one of their different flavors for the next couple of weeks. And and this week I'm going to talk about El Yucateco Black because it is my favorite of their flavors um, it's spicy as they all are, but it's also got this really good smoky flavor. A lot of people put it in, um, scrambled eggs and, and kind of pair it with breakfast cause it's kind of got that smoky feel going on. I'm a vegan, but I put it on my tofu scrambles and various breakfast things. For some reason it just really resonates with me. It's my favorite of all the El Yucateco flavors. It's great on pizza. It's great on everything I can think to put it on. It's just a really distinct, really unique flavor. And even when you pick up the bottle, it is black as midnight. It's fantastic. Check it out. El Yucateco Black. You can get their other flavors as well. You can get it from their website at elucateco.com, or you can find it at your local grocers. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, consider becoming a patron of the Mindframe podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash mindframepodcast, and depending on the level um, that you buy into, you can obviously get the sit-down episodes that we record every single week where we talk about the the inner workings of every chapter, but you can also get really cool uh, merchandise, unique t-shirts, other things get unlocked. Uh, So consider going in there, even if you just want to throw some support, throw a dollar our way, it really makes a difference. It helps us to to ship out stuff. It helps us to uh, rent server space. Um, All the little uh, uh, bells and whistles of podcasting aren't free and being a patron really, really helps us out. So thank you to all of you listeners who are patrons. And if you're not a patron, consider it. um, It could be a a worthwhile um, investment. So this week we're looking at chapter 20. And uh, we're getting back to the story of Marcellus Ball, where we last left Marcellus. um, Desi ended up walking in the door and they shared a kiss that they'd both been waiting for for quite some time. Um, And uh, that was pretty much where we left off. So we're going to pick up and find out what has happened in the interim with uh, Marcellus and Desi. So give this one a listen. Chapter 20. Marcellus Ball, circa 1991. 32. Marcellus got distracted at 32. He counted the candles as he lit them, but a brief flash of Desi's pubic hair and the flickering dimness above the stage stalled his brain. If there was a perfect density, a perfect shaved triangle, an Aristotelian archetypal pubic situation that all others should be compared to, it was Desi. His fingers suddenly spasmed in pain as he autonomically flicked the match from his fingers. He'd been staring too long. His animal brain's desire for sex overrode the primal fear of being burnt by a lingering match. Marcellus lit more candles, estimating the total to be 40, and placed them around the catwalk. Desi laid half asleep on the old double mattress they dragged out of the prop shop before they made love a second time. The first was a somewhat furious and uncomfortable affair in the set shop, making a surface of, first, Marcellus's desk, and second, 
a stack of untreated two-by-fours. But the second time, they made love on a proper mattress, one that was probably a decade old, but only clocked a few minutes of use over the years as actors pretended to sleep on it during various blackouts in between scenes. The candles, too, were set pieces. They had each been lit a few times, giving the character something to do during a monologue, and then were stored in boxes up here and never used for a second production because they were the wrong size, the wrong color scheme, the wrong whatever for the next play. After all of them were lit, Marcellus crept back to the bed. It was cold up here, contrary to the notion of hot air rising. They were on the spotlight walkway that hung above the seating. The theater was a dark cave where a cool breeze floated about, probably because Marcellus left the loading doors open when Desi came in soaking wet. He'd thought about going to shut them and then hitting the light booth to fire up a single Fresnel, a mix of gels to make the perfect color for the perfect mood, but that would take too long. It would take him too far away from Desi. The candles were much closer. The end result was as cozy a love nest as Marcellus could imagine. Several blankets, some pillows they unsheathed from plastic storage wrappings, and the candles. They hovered on the catwalk in the dark, he and Desi, as if they were floating in outer space, each candle a star, burning intensely, an eternity away from them. Desi groaned a satisfied groan when Marcellus slid under the covers to join her. He was in his boxers and a muscle shirt, and her body's heat was alluring. They lay face to face under the covers, the moisture from each other's breath filling the space. They touched noses. Marcellus felt like a fool, childish to feel so giddy, but he didn't resist. Desi lifted the cover and let a cool burst of air wash over them. She took off his shirt and boxers, which were otherwise keeping them from being fully together, merging skin on skin. It wasn't a sexual advance. They were both spent, just a desire for the ultimate intimacy. They nestled into the folds of each other, and Desi said, How are you, Marcellus? I don't think I've ever been better in my life. Suddenly, he wondered if it was a sexual sort of question, and he didn't know how he was. How are you, he asked back, suddenly paranoid about his performance. I mean, are you good? Was it good? I mean, what do you mean? Desi laughed a delicate laugh that Marcellus had never heard before. Her laughs were normally large things meant to lure a crowd. She said, It's a simple sort of question. I just mean how are you, in general? Your life. Is it a good life? Do you ever feel trapped? We talk all the time, but we never, you know, talk, talk. Absolutely everyone in the cast and crew asks about you. We wonder how you're doing. We wonder what it's like. Ah, questions about the glorious life of the king of all stagehands. No, not about being a stagehand, about being a stagehand. She paused, looking intensely into his eyes, awaiting recognition. Uh, not about being a stagehand, but about a stagehand, Marcellus asked. He wasn't following what she was trying to communicate. Forget it, that's not what I said, but nothing penetrates the veil. I guess what I really want to know... Desi suddenly looked at a candle. It seemed to Marcellus that she was struggling to form or to speak or to think the rest of the sentence. Marcellus couldn't be sure in the dim light of the candle, but he thought Desi was hiding a tear when she turned her head, exposing her white neck. He touched her shoulder. Hey, Desi, how are you? You okay? 
I just want to know if you're happy. I mean, I can't imagine that you ever have any time that is for you. Your life must be a constant struggle with all of this, juggling all of us at the theater and pushing us to be better. He said, no, no, not at all. I love my life and I love my job. I love it here at Echo Street. I'm the first one here in the morning and the last one here at night. I get to do what I love doing and every day it fulfills me. If I'm being cheesy and honest about it, are you happy? As a lark, she said dryly, looking back at Marcellus again. Do you really mean that? I worry about you in here. People just aren't supposed to be the same, you know, after... She let the rest of the sentence hang in the hollow air above the house. Marcellus still didn't know what she was going for. So he spoke on happiness in general, saying, I know a lot of people who aren't happy about life after college, but I am. I'm the same old Marcellus. Well, the same minus a series of bad productions I wish I could wash out of my black hide. Desi laughed her deep laugh this time. She hugged Marcellus and placed her head near the crook of his arm. He guessed she could hear his heartbeat, and he wanted to have his head on her breast. He wanted to hear her heartbeat. Her body relaxed. Whatever confusing darkness passed over her moments ago had clearly lightened. Do you remember Dr. Duval's classes, she asked? He laughed and said, you hated those classes, theater history. She covered her eyes to hide from the memory and said, you loved that shit. I ate it up, he said. I still love it. I read it on my own. It informs me here, our productions. And I actually learned it back then instead of sneaking out during midterms to go to the bathroom where you stash those cheat sheets under the sink. I totally forgot about that, Desi said, wide-eyed, slapping Marcellus on the shoulder. Don't talk about things like that or you'll get me in trouble. As if I'm not in trouble already, she said quietly at the end. Oh God, or the Isadora Duncan speech I had to give during, what was it? What was that wretched play? He said, it was USA by John Dos Passos. Yes, the monologue was so fucking long, you used to leave the booth and have a smoke and drink warm Jaeger in the back of the theater while I was on stage. And I'd get so pissed every night because I knew you were out there having a smoke and a swig while I rambled on. Marcellus laughed and bathed in the memory, suddenly trawling up one of his own. He said, or when you drove me across town to your apartment to make you the patented get drunk on your birthday punch, even though I had the flu and could barely stand. Oh, and you took some home and drank it and passed out, Desi added. I felt perfect the next morning. It cured me. And I remember when I got tested for admittance to graduate school and you didn't talk to me for like a week because you were afraid of who I'd be when I came out the other side. That last one killed Desi's mood again for some reason. And Marcellus wondered what she was holding back. This darkness would drift over her lately. She was hiding something, keeping an emotion deep inside of her like she did. She paused and shifted to her back and stared up into the darkness. Marcellus laid his head against her breast, the perfect place, and heard her heart beat. It was a heavier sound than he anticipated, a wet and tedious thing. God, she said, the get drunk on your birthday punch. Nobody else on earth knew how you made that stuff, she said and laughed. It was her fake laugh this time, her bravado laugh, the entire sentence an affectation. I love you, you know, Marcellus said, hearing it as if he were on headset, an actor saying something on stage while he read along in his book. I think I have since the Academy. She paused. Come with me. 
to New York. Important things are happening there, and we're going to see crazy days ahead. And I want you there for the crazy. I need you there right beside me, even if we can only see each other in this stupid space. Because we can still see each other. I want you there because I can't picture the future that is ahead of us without you there in my headset. I can't fight this war without Marcellus Ball pushing me. That wasn't what he expected to hear back. Well, he hadn't expected anything because he hadn't planned to confess his love to her, but confess it he did. He assumed she'd simply say, I love you back. Sophie, I love you, he said more seriously, ditching her pet name and calling her Sophie, a name that sounded artificial to him after years of the other. But I can't move to New York. Echo Street needs me. It's my home. Everyone here relies on me. And I'm not about to ask you to stay here of all places instead of New York. Your destiny is there. Acting is there. We can make it work, though. Figure something out. No, we can't, she said, sitting up and letting the sheets fall from her body like a wave as it parted for a rising submarine. She seemed sleek suddenly, full of purpose. There is only one way, Marcellus, and it is for you to come with me. The people I work for, have always worked for, need you. The entire planet needs you. So what are you talking about? Why can't we make it work? What people? She sighed and said, They told me you wouldn't be able to leave. It's part of the life you live in here. You're hardwired here and you'll have a massive mental block if you ever try to leave. Sophie, you're kind of freaking me out right now. She reached into her purse and removed a small antique. It was about the size of a cigarette case and it looked to be made of carved ivory and silver. She opened it. There was nothing inside. But he heard a buzzing noise come from everywhere as if something had suddenly gone awry with the wiring of the entire theater. She said, listen, I'm going to explain it plainly and hope this thing works. Your mind frame won't want you to hear me, but I was told this device will let you and it will stop those fucking monsters from listening in and incinerating me when I go past their threshold. This place, Echo Street, is not the type of theater you think it is. It is a theater of war. You are calling out orders that you don't understand. You are getting people on stage to follow the orders of Katsumi, and the orders aren't for a stage production. They are for something worse. People are bombing on stage, but you can't see it, can you? You just see the theater productions. Can't you see what you do to people? Due to the actors who sacrifice themselves to save a scene? Due to the theaters in competition against you, the audience? Is any of this getting through or is it all framed now? This piece of shit hardly works, she said, banging her head against the cigarette case like it were a TV on the fritz. We are at war, Marcellus, and I fucking need you. You. She was pacing on the catwalk next to the bed. She was completely nude her fine breasts and tight stomach, by God, she was toned like an athlete, weren't part of any sexual arousal at the moment. She had gone frantic, her body a thing of lithe muscle, a quick and dangerous animal. When Desi fell silent, she just stared at him, holding her empty cigarette box. The hum was louder coming from the theater space. They stared at each other in silence. Pinter paws aside, Soph, I am completely lost. You're upset about my work here? She started to get dressed and said, You aren't ready to listen to the truth. 
No, no, that's not fair. You are incapable of listening to the truth because of this theater and your goddamned mind frame. Desi was crying now. She picked up her purse and began fishing through it frantically. He figured she was looking for a smoke since the case was empty. He had borrowed her book of matches for the candles. He dug them out of the pocket of his crumpled jeans and held them up to Desi. Here, he said, as he saw that she found what she was looking for in her purse. It was a 38 revolver gleaming in chrome against the candle flicker. There's only one way, Marcellus. You're either coming with me or you're not. I must kill you now in this theater. Marcellus heard a noise and turned to where the catwalk entered the space above the stage through a door. Running into the candlelight through the darkness came Irwin and Barca. They were silent and sprinting, faces squinted in concentration. Desi aimed the pistol at one, then the other. A shot, and then another. Irwin and Barca both fell from the walkway down into the seating, making a horrible wet thud as their bodies landed on the rigid velvet-lined seats below. Marcellus stared in wonder, neither fight nor flight activating. There was nothing but disbelief and that buzzing sound. He heard the shot meant for him, though he was always told you wouldn't. He felt a punch to his chest, his lungs evacuate their air. The force of the bullet pushed him to his side. He heard a second shot and felt another punch to his back, then another. There was no pain, he realized. Marcellus wondered if that was a bad thing. He couldn't catch his breath. He felt the cold of the theater magnify in the air around him, but it was equalized with an added warmth suddenly spreading throughout the mattress he was lying on. His blood, he realized, was warming his skin. He tried to stand, tried to talk, to plead, to question, but his body was funny. He couldn't do anything. Still, there was no pain. That was a good thing, right? Or was it the worst thing? It'll be all right, Marcellus, Sophia Arnez said, kneeling down and kissing him on his bloodied lips. She was crying but placid, eyes as still as an autumn lake. I love you too, she said, as she placed the pistol against his forehead and pulled back the hammer. She squeezed the trigger, and this time, Marcellus did not hear the gunshot. And so ends chapter 20, and perhaps the romance of Marcellus and Desi. We'll have to wait and see. Um, if you like what you're listening to, you can always track down my other fiction, starting with my first novel, 181 Pine, and you can also find the books of Zach Smith, the um, co-host of our sit-down episodes. If you go to mindframepodcast.com, you can find all of our fiction, and you can find some really cool merch. If you like the show, get a shirt, get a coffee mug, share the love, uh, display your, your uh, merch with pride, and use it as a talking point to convince that friend of yours who hasn't quite listened yet to start listening. As always, we are a member of the Podbelly Network. Um, you can go there and find some really cool shows. You can find Rock and Roll Beer Guy, which is one of the shows on there that's quite popular. And you can also find Brewing the 99, which is a podcast about Magic the Gathering's uh, commander format. It is co-hosted by Brad Taylor, who is our co-host on the Sofa King podcast, our not-safe-for-work take on popular culture we also do on the side. Um, so check those things out. As always, give El Yucateco hot sauce a try. And um, 
even if it isn't merch, even if it isn't Patreon, um, even if your wallet is tight in these tight times, um, a really, really great way that you can show support for the show is to just give us a share, give us a like, give us an upvote for WorldGov by going to whatever social media flavor is yours. Subscribing, sharing means a lot, and it really helps spread the word with what we're doing. So if you go to Facebook, you can find us at MindFrame Podcast. There's some really cool interactions from listeners that talk on there and stuff, so go check us out on Facebook. If you're on Instagram, you can go to the MindFrame Podcast. If you're on Twitter, it's simply the MindFrame Pod. And on Reddit, we are r slash Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. If you are a patron, thank you for the patronage. And remember, the lariat is closing.